Hello and welcome to Kodish. In honor of Asian American Heritage Month, which is celebrated in May, we wanted to bring you a special episode focused on celebrating Asians in tech, featuring a few of our Asian American coworkers at Salesforce. This episode is part of our Dev Life series. Welcome to Kodish. My name is Ryan Chan and I'm a technical architect at Salesforce where I help our customers solve their problems through our developer platform and tools like Heroku. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Anna Chan. Hey. And Vikram Sridhar. Hi. Anna and Vic, we all share something in common, that not only are we in technical worlds at Salesforce, which I think is the minimal requirement for us to be talking on this podcast, but that we're also part of the same community. We are all members of Salesforce's Asian Employee Resource Group, Pack Force, and as a part of Asian Heritage Month, uh, we'll all be centering and joining together in our conversation today around our communities, where we come from, what they mean to us, and why we give back to them. So to kick us off, Anna, could you talk to us about what it was like for you growing up in your community? Sure. Thanks, Brian. Um, I'm Anna Chan, and I grew up in a small town in the north of the UK, and I was one of the only Chinese families in the area. I'm the eldest uh, female and already have my future dictated to me by my culture and my family. Um, And this was that my family owned a Chinese takeaway where we lived above the shop, uh, helped out most weekends as well. I really wanted to go into catering to enhance my creative skills, but was massively discouraged by my family uh, not to carry on the family business. Uh, Went to uni and did advertising. And there's still lots of pressures to be a female figurehead for my family. And I think in most families uh, with Asian heritage, to be a mother, to have children and to have a home and provide for your husband. Um, Not as much pressure as my brother to carry on the family name. But I was always compared to cousins who became lawyers and doctors. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and actually, my story is pretty similar to yours as well, Anna. Um, I'm not from the UK, as you can tell from my lack of beautiful accent and harsh, disgusting Northeast accent. Uh, I'm, I'm only kidding about that. Um, but I did grow up in a small town in Rhode Island um, with few other Chinese families, um, or really any families of any diverse background. Um, we followed the Asian American dream where we also owned a Chinese restaurant, but my family never wanted me to work in the restaurant as well. I still managed to work behind the bar from time to time and uh, hang out with our customers, but uh, they really wanted me to focus on school. And I think like many other Asian immigrant families, they, they also wanted me to become a doctor, an engineer, um, or a businessman. Um, I did end up going to school to be a biomedical engineer. Um, I'll be the first to admit that um, from a schooling perspective, I probably wasn't the best student in the world, but um, I did graduate with a, with an engineering degree, um, but ultimately didn't end up uh, practicing in that field. You know, for me, um, growing up in that in that culture, it was really about um, you know trying to work into a, in a field or be in a field that my family thought would be secure or thought um, you know would provide money or you know be you know help kind of uh, ensure that we had a comfortable life. Um, so, you know, culturally and community-wise, though, um, for me, it was 
you know, really centered a lot around family, around the people, um, you know, in, in my town that, um, you know, were of a similar background or, or similar cultural background as me. Um, Vic, how about you? Yeah, I realize I grew up a bit differently from both of you. Uh, I lived in, a, I'd say, a medium-sized city in the Bay Area. Um, and I grew up around a lot of other Asians, actually. So I kind of grew up around like predominantly Hispanic Asian population. So I always just felt more comfortable in a, in a diverse group. Definitely did feel pressure, though, from um, just general stereotypes about South Asians from the media and friends. Um, to kind of su succeed in my studies and go into a STEM career. My parents, though, I guess you could say were not your typical um, Indian parents, in my opinion. They never really pressured me into anything, nor were they strict on me for the most part. Um, for background, uh, my mom is a substitute teacher and my dad is in the biotechnology industry. So they definitely wanted me to pursue higher education at least, but they didn't mind if I went into STEM or not. But I guess I did. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's an interesting point, Vic. I mean, although your parents didn't push you to go into a STEM career, you still ended up falling into it somehow. Uh, yeah. Or how, how did that happen? I guess it was because of those those pressures for me um, from just friends and stereotypes that I kind of uh, still enjoyed the whole experience of learning math and going into STEM. And when I went into school, I actually wanted to become a mechanical engineer instead. Um, and work on hardware. And I really wanted to stay away from computer science and software engineering. I, I saw those two as different fields um, because I guess in the media, like South Asians can usually be portrayed as like the IT tech person. Um, so definitely didn't want to go into computer science. But as you can tell from my current job title, I ended up actually falling in love with computer science. And when I was taking those classes in my university, I really enjoyed the immediate impact I could make on a community um, through like a simple website or application. And so I always felt like I could make this difference in the way people live their lives through tech um, and specifically software engineering. I probably had a similar experience to you as well. Although I will definitely say that my parents pushed STEM and were a lot more fierce in terms of their desire for me to be in a STEM career. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I definitely did, from a personal perspective, find a lot of inspiration from a robotics program, actually, uh, that we have. I think it's global now, but it was called First Robotics. And basically, as a high schooler, you would work with uh, local companies, local universities, and uh, they really built a, an amazing community. But it was essentially, you would spend, um, it was like, up to three or four months um, building robots together and creating both these massive kits. And we got an opportunity to work with the Coast Guard Academy. So they had these massive, insane machines, machinery that they would use and we would fabricate these robots that we would all come together with other schools, other groups and competed with each other in these giant stadiums. And mm -hmm. it just, really built up this idea of not only that science and technology is freaking awesome, but that you there was also a huge community behind it as well, where you had all of these people that came from diverse backgrounds. Like in our group, we had people from you know the Asian community, we had Caucasians, we had 
people, uh, kids from a local homeschool um, as well that would normally not work together or come together, but wanting to build an awesome robot that, that you could then compete. And like, I think ours, we had to like shoot basketball hoops or something. Um, oh, but it was really because of that really awesome community that was built around it that, I mean, this program has been, came out of, I think, MIT or WPI many years ago. Um, it was founded by Gene Kamen and his, his organization, but they've been around for a long time. And it's because they've built a really strong community that has continued to inspire people to go into the STEM career. Um, and I, I want to turn it over to you because I think your background is really interesting because you, you know, we're all, you know, in the tech industry now um, working for Salesforce, but you kind of took a little bit of a more non-traditional path um, to, to moving into a more technical role. Can you kind of talk through your experience in uni and then expend, extending beyond that, how you came here to Salesforce? Definitely. I think it's really interesting that Brian and Vic, both of you went through the engineering route. And it's just really interesting how you both kind of found that passion. For my uh, background, like you say, it wasn't traditional into technology. Um, I think my family were very specific on what kind of career they wanted me to have. So that was either to be a doctor, a lawyer, um, or go into business because business is always seen as something quite stable as well. Um, so in terms of business, I kind of got around it with advertising and brand. I went to a business school in Manchester in the UK, um, and I fell in love with the creative side. Like I say, I wanted to do catering, which had a creative outlet. And I think advertising and brand for me really let me be exposed to the business side as well as that creative outlet. So in terms of that, I've been in email for eight plus years. Uh, this kicked off from the mobile era where no one had emails on their mobile, if you can cast your mind back to then. <laughs> I've worked in digital agencies, really fast-paced environments and loved being agile and creative. To be proud to be innovative and pushing the boundaries and really wanted to join an industry and a company that really gave back to these innovative ideas, but also back to their local and global communities as well. You brought, you brought us back to that idea of communities and like what, what drives you to want to give back to your community, Anna? And, and also like what, what exactly does community to, mean to you? Yeah, so it's to be able to give back to the next generation and also our current generation to really know that we can actually do what we want, even if it's not a traditional way of life as our communities have seen it, but to really loosen blockers and open doors um, to make sure we have those conversations so that others can thrive, um, like my parents and my family before me when they came to the UK. So I want to show people that you can be an Asian woman in tech and you can have a voice and be valued, that social and historical stereotypes can and will be changed and that we can be resilient in this community as well. And I think we've seen that a lot, not only in Salesforce, but right now in, in terms of this pandemic. Yeah, I uh, that notion and that idea, um, that concept of community um, has become so important in, in which how we engage with each other and how we communicate um, and how we just kind of feel love um, as well. But but also 
I know that there's been a huge wave of anti-Asian racism and xenophobia um, that unfortunately has really touched the whole world, um, you know, because the COVID-19 virus has originated from, you know, Wuhan, China. Um, it's unfortunately, it's shown that, you know, not only are we dealing with the virus, um, you know, the current pandemic, but also, you know, the virus of hate um, and, you know, racism as well. So, uh, I mean, I guess in this time, right, like, how have you guys felt, you know, this that sense of community, um, you know, and, and how, what are some of the things that you guys have done to really help maintain that, um, especially during this time? Yeah, it's been pretty frustrating um, seeing in the news, like the whole racism and xenophobia that's being um, put out by so many different groups of people um, during these really tough times um, for everyone. And that kind of motivates me and a lot of my friends also to just want to give back to this API community. Um, because for me personally, I guess this community has given so much to me already. And I understand that these hardships, like facing um, this, dis- this discrimination and racism um, while COVID-19 is going around is not fair at all. Um, some of the ways that I've been trying to give back is, of course, like since I'm, I'm, I'm able to uh, just donations to certain communities because I think like the financial need that they, they face right now is, um, is super challenging. But other than that, uh, thankfully through Asia Pack Force, I've been able to uh, create events and host events that impact the community that kind of spotlight certain nonprofits um, and talk about the struggles they're facing and why their struggles are really important. Anna, I mean, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective as well. Um, you know, obviously the UK is a very, is a different place, but it's also similar in a lot of other ways. What's your experience been during this current pandemic and during this time around, um, you know, community and around, you know, some of the other things that are happening? Yeah, definitely. I think there are similarities, like you say, with the UK um, and the US in terms of COVID-19, a lot of press around the stories that have happened, uh, which is really disheartening and quite painful to see. Um, I'll go back to my upbringing um, in the north of the UK. And there was a lot of racism when I was growing up, um, a lot of you know, insults and situations that aren't great to be in. Um, and then I grew up, moved away to the big city uh, and tried to basically make my way in the world. Uh, and to kind of come back maybe, t- what, 25 years later, this COVID-19 situation happens and I'm having friends that are upset and colleagues that are really afraid to, to leave um, their offices or their house to go get groceries. It's really disheartening. And that's why I think it is really important to give back to these communities, whatever community that is. And it's just starting. You can go and discover, reach out to others, ask questions. If you feel comfortable to ask those questions and have those conversations, it's really just getting involved, listening as well to these stories even if it's disheartening, it, it's a start, you know, in terms of a conversation happening and actions being taken. And really, 
not to be afraid to lose face uh, and make sure that you're challenging the situation in a really healthy way. So in terms of getting involved in local groups, networks, make sure you look at your circles of friends, colleagues. Are you diverse? Maybe you need to broaden um, and understand other people's ways of life as well to really make sure that you're giving back um, to the community. Having grown up in a really similar um, background as you, I I get brought back to some of the some of my childhood, the fears of getting beat up on the playground, getting you know called names, um, and you know and and being labeled as a certain type of person because you look different or you are different, um, even if you know you. Um, you know, you're, you're not related to, or you're not even of the same ethnic background. Um, you know, so I think as a whole, Asians um, are under attack and, you know, that I think that there is an importance of why together, you know, we, we do need to stand um, united as a community. Um, and, and I would say, especially, I've seen a lot of things that we can be hopeful of. I've seen a lot of really rallying behind our community around our community and and it's important not only as as Asians um, as people who come from you know the that that ethnic background um, that we stand together but also that we also we have allies that we have people who may come from a different background from us that are our friends our families our um, you know the the people that uh, we work with, um, that may not identify as an Asian, you know, that they participate in our part and that we are, we include them as part of our community as well. And something that I'm, I'm particularly proud of that we've done um, at Salesforce is we, we partnered with um, the ph- phenomenal women um, brand um, in that campaign to produce and, and provide a phenomenally Asian t-shirts to our employees. And in particular, Something that, that's interesting that happened as part of that conversation is um, that I had a number of Caucasians um, that came up to me and said, I, I wanted to show solidarity with um, you know, the Asian community, but I'm not Asian. Does, is it okay for me to wear this shirt? Um, and I have my opinions on it, um, but I, I want to hear what you have to say, Vic and, and Anna. Yeah, I think the whole phenomenally Asian campaign is really motivating for a lot of people. I know a lot of of my colleagues and friends have been like, "Hey, like, where'd you get that shirt? Like, how can I get one? How can I support uh, the API community through this campaign as well?" And I think it's a great start because, really, I, I remember Anna, you mentioned this: like, don't be afraid to lose face um, when trying to give back to these communities. And I think that's a great. Um, uh, motif because we we need to step up and just do something about it in general. Um, it only takes one person really to start a movement. And I remember for me personally, when I was first going through this whole quarantine and shelter in place, um, I realized that I really wanted to give back to certain nonprofits. And I didn't know which nonprofits to really donate to. And one thing I decided to do was, okay, let me post on my my personal Instagram story and just ask for nonprofits that people recommend and 
and there that there's a need for um, right now. And I was surprised people actually responded to my story because I never I never really post anything like that, and I was afraid of how people might react to this kind of different side of me posting this on my Instagram. Um, but people did respond in a very positive way and were like, "Hey, this is this is a great nonprofit that you should donate to. Like, research into it more. Um, let me know what you think." And yeah, I got so many responses that I decided to like kind of like create like a series of posts about it. Um, so that others can also gain the same information that I was able to get. That's awesome. I, I mean, I think that really shows, right? Like the power of the community of, you know, that you as an individual, like you can make an impact, right? You don't have to move mountains. You don't have to, mm-hmm. uh, like a, that story of, you know, the young boy um, it, that like goes and picks up, um, you know, sea stars uh, on the beach and, um, you know, you don't have to pick up every single C star to make a difference. You just have to pick up one and, you know, make that difference in one person's life. Um, and that can, you know, have a huge impact. And, and I think that like no movement, right, goes from one person to, you know, a, an entire full blown movement overnight, but it, it, it takes groundswell. It takes people coming together as a community, identifying, you know, and seeing the pain that we, uh, each other, um, that our common person is is going through, and and really helping and and lending a hand. Um, Anna, what's been your experience? I think our listeners are probably doing more than they actually know, in terms of helping diversity and really raising awareness. Like Vic said, his story when he posted one post, he got a lot of reaction, and then that encouraged him to do that more. And so that just one small thing really opened up the conversation. Going back to the T-shirt, I wore that out to go grocery shopping and someone said, oh, I really love your T-shirt. What is it about? And it just really is that conversation starter that you need. So that's what I mean around just start because I think that just gives opens the floodgates in terms of being able to have these conversations. Some of them might be difficult. They might be hard. But I think that just makes us that much closer to getting to a solution. And for um, those who are allies, um, you know, the people who may be, you know, not come from an Asian background, how would you recommend that they have those conversations? Just starting, like I say, keeping yourself honest and keeping curious is what I would say. If you feel that it's going to get a bit uncomfortable, I think just caveating um, that it might be an uncomfortable situation that you, but you want to have that conversation to help that community. And so let them really guide you as an ally in terms of the language being used, but don't feel it. Don't feel afraid to use certain language. Just always, I would say caveat that with anything that you feel is might be perceived as inappropriate I would just be really honest and have that candid conversation, really. Yeah, I really agree with Anna. Um, I think it's all about educating yourself first, um, trying to learn about the community that you want to ally for. Um, There's so much news out there and there's so much information in general. So really just trying to understand first from your perspective, like um, how I can be a good ally or how I can help. And then when you start communicating with this community or uh, interacting with them, like 
make sure you're open-minded. Um, like sometimes you might get called out uh, for saying something that's not really correct or inappropriate. Um, and you have to be open-minded about that. You need to make sure that you're not defensive um, and you understand that maybe this is something that shouldn't have been said or um, you need to change the way you're behaving. And that's okay. Like we're, we're all learning um, and we're all in this together. This is a process. Equality is not something that is going to happen overnight. And, it, and it's a continued fight. It's something that we globally um, are, are still battling with and, and trying to create a more inclusive, a more e- equal world. And just being able to live our lives without having to be fearful of someone calling me a name or going into work and not being considered for that promotion uh, because I don't look like that person. I don't come from the same background. Um, you know, those are the things that we don't want to live in a world or we, we want to live in a world that we don't have to think about and we don't have to worry about those things. And I think that we all strive to do that. But it, it does start with learning. It, it starts with making mistakes, but making a commitment to be better, to learn from one another, and most importantly, to listen as well. And I mean, I, I definitely know from a business perspective, especially being somebody in tech, especially being someone in sales as well, that there are some cultures, there are some parts of that culture that are a little dated. And sometimes we use speech that we we don't know that we're guilty of, that we say things that we don't understand or, or have context for why it may be offensive to somebody, but it's just a phrase that we've heard for a long time or used for a long time. And I think it's just, it's okay to call somebody out on that. It's okay to say something to someone um, because in most cases, we don't know we're doing something wrong or someone doesn't know they're doing something wrong, but it's really about how do we open up the conversation with that person to say, hey, maybe don't say it that way. Or this is what it means to me when you say something like that. Um, and, you know, maybe there's a better way to potentially phrase that. Um, you know, so I think that these are things that it's a work in progress and it will continue to be. Yeah, definitely. And I think the art of feedback is something that some people are really good at, some people might need a bit of practice but again it's just starting giving that feedback having those conversations and hopefully you know you have a a community whether that be your job your family your friends where you can be your authentic self and I think we're very privileged to work for a, a tech company at Salesforce doing the jobs that we really love and giving back to our community. Yeah so I know we've all talked about a lot about giving back and how to give back. But do you guys have any advice for those coming into tech and how to get into tech? I think it's just finding that company and those values that you really want to, you know, keep honest to yourself and also something that you're really passionate about. So for me, I didn't think I would be in a tech company for four plus years. I didn't think I would be in email necessarily. I knew it was something along business and something in terms of being creative and giving back to my community. So it was really just a learning process as I went through 
But I think in terms of technology, just make sure that you're passionate about learning, making sure that you're you're comfortable in a fast-paced environment. Uh, a lot of these tech companies are very innovative right now and moving at a very fast pace. So that's why I think agency life for me kind of set me up for being in technology and digital to make sure that I was comfortable with that pace of life and yeah, just really talking to other people, getting their opinion and yeah, just asking loads of questions. Yeah, I think for me, it was not necessarily the desire to get into tech um, that led me here. And, And I would also say that getting into tech um, for a lot, there's a lot of people that want to get into tech, but aren't able to, or there aren't careers for them or, or whatever that is. Maybe they don't have the skills to do it, but I would say the destination should be whatever helps you pursue your passions and allows you to take the skills that you do have, or maybe help you develop the skills that you need or that you want to have in the future and identifying with those and figuring out a path for yourself um, that helps you accomplish that. And for me, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I went to school for biomedical engineering and I fell into entrepreneurship. But uh, what I was really drawn to was about this idea of building something and being part of a community, being part of um, something that I, I felt passionate about and, and helping to, you know, help others um, to accomplish what they wanted to, um, you know, and that drive, you know, to actually help people um, as well, since we were a biomedical devices startup. But that really led me or spun me into a career of continuing to work for startups. Um, and eventually I fell into solution engineering or now called technical architects or solutions architects. There's a million different titles, but what that really allowed me to do was balance the technical aspect of my background, but also really being able to enjoy having conversations with people. And, you know, that career, that position really helped lead me down the path of continuing to work for other tech startups um, and then eventually coming to Salesforce. And, and, I, and I believe that I'll continue to have a great career um, you know, in, in this kind of a role, but I would say that it was never the destination for me, um, to move into tech. It was really about how do I continue to pursue what I am passionate about, um, what skills I do have. Um, and eventually I I got there and, and I love where I'm at, but I'm also looking forward to where I'll be in the future as well. Yeah, definitely. I would just add that don't think that you need to code and know all these different languages, it's really impressive if you do, obviously, um, and it's great to be able to do that and understand that. But there are roles that are non-technical within tech companies that you're able to discover as well. So like I say, just reach out about that. How about you, Vic? Yeah, I I got into tech because I, I just really enjoyed it overall. I loved coding, um, fell in love with that, and I felt like I could really make an impact easily with it. But for those who maybe don't know really where to start. Um, for me personally, I'll just suggest like just going through online learnings, like online classes. Um, YouTube is a huge help, um, even for me now while I'm in the industry. 
kind of teaching me and refreshing my mind on how things work. Um, that's always a great start. And then from there on, just talking with people who are in the industry and seeing like how they are keeping up with their skills or what kind of technologies they're, they're using. And just kind of learning that and seeing like where you can get your foot in the door. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.